Welcome to Theosophia, a podcast for women's voices in theology. I'm your host, Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and last week and this week I'm talking to my dear friend Claire Brown, an Episcopal candidate for ordination in the Diocese of East Tennessee. In the last episode, Claire shared with us her journey through several church traditions to finally where she found her home in the Episcopal Church. She also shared her love of the sacraments and liturgy. Today, Claire and I dive into the wild ride that is motherhood and priesthood. I joked earlier on Instagram that I partially understand motherhood because I've kept my dog alive for the last eight years, but growing another human in your body, bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh is a wholly other sacred experience I cannot relate to. We explore a type of theology called embodied theology. It's a sort of critique of the old mind-body dualism where the mind is greater than the body and should be privileged over and against the body in our knowing about God and the world. So today we sort of flip that old ideology on its head and explore what our bodies can teach us about God. Claire does this through the unique and distinctive acts of childbirth, breastfeeding, and wrangling a young toddler. Y'all are going to love this one. Here's Claire. So I'm really excited to talk about this because I think it's it's really particular to being a woman in theology mm-hmm. is the experience of motherhood and priesthood. Yeah. Which I think is so cool. You're just all of your ideas on embodied theology. Claire and I are going to talk about here in a minute and we're going to set this up and start with your call to ordination, because all of these things are wrapped up, yep. I think, in, in your vocation. So can you talk about, start talking about your your call to ministry and how you've experienced that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually started divinity school, not having any intention whatsoever for being ordained or working in a church or anything. Um, and just it took me a year of studying and trying to keep things at an arm's length to fall in love with the church. Um, so I kind of got backed into the corner almost of like looking up and realizing that for me, health and growth and love and faith meant exploring ordination. Um, yeah. I don't just don't know how else to put it. It didn't feel like I could do anything else. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the Episcopal Church, the ordination process takes a very, very long time. And a solid year and a half is ongoing conversations of discernment before you even get to seminary. So I started those conversations and was driving up and down from Nashville, where I was living, to... Cleveland, Tennessee, to meet with my parish and the bishop and all of the people to discern with them. Um, And there's, it's different in different dioceses, but in East Tennessee, there's this big retreat that you go on and you bring your spouse or partner and you, if you're married or partnered, and you go to this church and basically have multiple extensive very vulnerable conversations about your life and your theology and why you are here 
And um, I didn't know they included your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty intense and um, it's, it's a big milestone in the process where you, um, after that point, the decision is made whether you'll continue as a postulant. And um, we found out we were pregnant maybe two or three weeks before this retreat was scheduled. <laughs> so we, oh, I don't even, I don't know if we were telling anyone. We might have told, you know, the two best friends and maybe my mom. <laughs> it was, I mean, because you kind of keep that close for a minute. Um, and it was tricky because really, um, through my entire process, I have, I guess from God's grace or something, I've kind of had an open grasp of my ordination process. Like if this is what's supposed to happen, it's going to happen and it'll move forward and it'll be fine. And if it's not, we'll figure that out. Okay. Um, and so that's how I was going into it. But I was also like, holy cow, I'm pregnant. Like, what do you, how do you figure that out? So we did not tell the commission on ministry or the bishop at that juncture, but they did approve me to move forward. And um, so I found out that I was approved to be a postulant about the same time that we went for our first ultrasound. Um, so all of this was unfolding just really on the same timeline. And it was a little bit crazy. Um, that year I was working at St. Augustine's chapel and I think the experiences of doing things like preaching, preaching six months pregnant was incredible and difficult (laughs) and also super satisfying. Like, Look at all this multiple proclamations of the word, y'all. <laughs> um, it was really difficult. I was writing my senior project for my Master of Divinity, actually about my experience doing clinical chaplaincy in the neonatal intensive care unit. Um, mm. So there were just a lot of layers of becoming a mom and becoming a postulant and candidate for ordination. Yeah. Unfolding together over the course of the last two years. Um, and in some ways it, they kind of counterbalanced each other in some interesting ways. Um, Say more about that. Yeah. So, so here's the thing, like getting approved for postulancy is a huge deal. It was incredibly satisfying, joy filled, mm-hmm. clarifying. Mm-hmm. And they had nothing on that ultrasound of just the complete blissed out shock and awe <laughs> of like, there's this thing the size of a peanut and I'm going to grow it and it's going <laughs> to be a child. <laughs> That's magical. Um, and so, you know, I couldn't get too hung up on what the commission on ministry was saying because this other sacred thing was happening. Um, but I'm also someone who 
I'm a, I'm a lot more settled these days, but, um, you know, before we had our son, I really wasn't sure that I wanted to have children. It was kind of, I, I would waffle a lot. Um, this is not a friendly culture to women. It's not a friendly culture to moms. Um, mm-hmm. We still have a really far way to go. And I think in some ways um, having this other very core piece of my identity moving ahead and seeing that God was present and faithful and that I was in community and not doing this alone in my vocation um, as a minister gave me more confidence that the same thing would be happening in my vocation as a mom. And I think it also kind of protected me from some of the ambivalence I was feeling um, of like, right. Like you're, you are going to be becoming both of these things and, you know, not getting so overwhelmed by new parenthood that I would forget this other call in my life. So having them unfolding parallel was crazy busy and kind of overwhelming, but also in a way they kind of balanced each other out. But you know what, this whole thing for me, honestly, I'm getting emotional just hearing you talking about it because I just think priesthood should absolutely be very much similar and the same as motherhood. Okay. (laughs) So like, for instance, I mean, I could give you all sorts of biblical references for God as mother, right? And that's what this podcast oh, yeah. is about, is, is God is personified in female and talking, mm-hmm. using women's voices to talk about how God lives through you. Anyways, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about at one particular time when we had a Eucharist Wednesday night at St. Augustine's and Mother Alyssa mm-hmm. was uh, consecrating Eucharist and her two little, little boys ran up to her while she was doing it ran up to the mm-hmm. altar and grabbed her, you know, to, for whatever reason. I don't know. They wanted to ask her something or talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. They're just being crazy little dudes. And, you know, she was so awesome. She didn't skip a beat. She may have like touched them or like held them close to her, but she kept saying the words mm-hmm. and doing the ritual. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like how beautiful and profound that moment was Mm -hmm. because that's what to me like that that's the kingdom of god on earth like that's what god would do that's what jesus would do if kids Mm -hmm. came up running to him you know or whoever it was he would touch them and bring them into the to what he was doing and then keep sharing his Mm -hmm. body and keep sharing his you know blood right and so the fact that you're doing that and that motherhood is all about you sharing your body and blood with another freaking human you made this human from your body and your blood yeah absolutely there's there's nothing more priestly to me claire yeah it was really i think pregnancy fixed jesus for me Pregnancy saved Jesus. You have for my faith. Say more. I'm, I'm going to tell you all about that. <laughs> um, well, w- women as priests have saved my faith. So well, keep going. There you go. Yeah. Um, keep going. 
representation and language and theology matters. Oh yeah. That you are using the divine feminine as the name of your podcast. It matters that we lift up God as mother. I think in some ways I experienced Jesus as very separate from me. I did not experience solidarity with him until I was pregnant. Mm. Um, because I was not, I was both the receiver and the giver of Eucharist. Um, not in the way that a priest is, but in, in the way that a baptized Christian who's giving life to another person is, um, body broken for you. Lex concept when you are experiencing the discomfort and pain of pregnancy and the just let's just use the word pain not discomfort <laughs> pain of labor <laughs> um, of you know realizing what I had to do to take care of myself so that I could take care of this person I was growing um, both when I was pregnant and then when I was breastfeeding my son um, that dynamic, I was, I was unified with Christ in giving and nourishing in a way that was mm-hmm. both sacrificial and painful mm-hmm. and unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And you better believe I would mm-hmm. do it again in a second. And that's would, what you, like, like, I would break it, my body open for him in a <sighs> second. And you know, if we grow our family, I will. Um, nursing was hard for me at first. It was had to get some professional help um to make that work for us um but i was trying um and i know that it doesn't always work out for dating but um just the the annoyance of that didn't matter at all like what it what it was for me paled in comparison of what it um so just this embodied breaking and giving in a way that was also a gift to me. Um, yeah, I was, I was unified with Christ in a way that I never had experienced before because of his gender particularity. Um, way that different bodies living different lives and experiences experience and articulate God differently than each other. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a, there's an ease around that embodiment and this intimacy of that knowledge that I don't even have now that my son is weaned, which is mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Hmm. It drives me crazy talking about this, thinking about how a lot, some communities don't allow women to be priests like this very thing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> this very thing. Why would thing. you miss on the adults? <laughs> how, how, how have we, why, why, why have we constructed theologies that, this is like priesthood means so much to me in, in this very metaphor and, and how our bodies do something different than men's in, in the, the act of motherhood and childbirth. And not all women will do this, but. Sure. Just the fact that this is something we can do. But 
you know, women can also take care of and nurture. And like you said, feed their church communities, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. just as much as men can, but that we, we have this readily available metaphor in uh, motherhood and childbearing that I think is just insanely rich with theological uh, yes. Meaning. Absolutely. Absolutely. That we don't talk about that. we <laughs> That we've missed out on for a very long time mm-hmm. and has, has given my faith a whole nother uh, dimension and entryway. Just like I said, seeing mother Lissa on the altar mm-hmm. and her children coming up to her. I mean, it was just, it, it changed everything for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I tell you about something I've been thinking about this week? Yes. Um, so it, I don't know why, what kind of brought this to my mind, but I realized that most people don't know that, um, well, okay. When you become a parent and I know that this is different for all different kinds of people, but it's like you, you are suddenly in this underground club that you didn't know existed right like tubs of maternity clothes just showed up at our house um and i didn't ask for them it was amazing um but some of this happens online some of it's like through the grapevine but a thing that happens is um so not all women can or want to breastfeed their babies um but they still want their babies to have breast milk and women very like grassroots there are places where you can donate to a like a bank and get breast milk that's kind of been approved but there's also just like facebook groups of women or text message threads or people in the park that it turns out also had their baby at the same birth center you did and women give each other their milk so women who have an abundance of breast milk Right. Like you, it's not something you think about. Um, no. But for some women who can't provide that from, from their own bodies, it's still really important to have that for their children or to have, you know, a mix of what they can provide in a donor. Um, but this no, it's so like cool. every blue moon. So I was in this Facebook group. Every blue moon, a woman would get on there and say, you know, I just checked my stash and I've got way more than we're going to need, you know, who, who needs milk? I do. My friend so-and-so. And then you just, like, place or you send it through a friend, a cooler full of frozen milk. And it's an even better picture to me of just this. There is abundance. And when we can get mm-hmm. past our hang-ups and say that our bodies hold grace... We can feed each other's children. This totally, um, I've given my milk to other people. Um, joyful thing to give. It is not something you ever see. It's not something that you can pay for. Um, it's just the most beautiful thing. And there's this whole network of women who just do this. Um, and this is a global thing. This is, you know, 
What if we How did this with food? What if we what did if this we, with what? Any, any water? Like anything? Yeah. <sighs> Money, just, just grace, just time. caring, just fit, caring for community, like humanity. Yep. Just on the, a very basic, as basic as it gets. Yeah. Basic needs, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. Oh my lord. Like my mind is blown. I don't know how to process that right now. Yeah, I've just been thinking about that this week. Maybe especially with like thinking about um, Mary going to visit Elizabeth and yeah. John leaping in her womb. Yes, in recognition of this other yes uh-huh. sacred life that's being born. Yeah, of just this like incredible bodily known recognition. Yeah. In a way that I don't think any other kind of compassion can touch because we were all right there in the trenches with each other. Yeah. Um, you know, you have this thing for a good long while where when your baby cries, you feel it in your womb. You feel it in your guts. Yeah. You are hardwired to respond to that no matter what. Yeah. And and in that is this ability to say her baby's hungry, and I am hardwired to respond to that too. Oh wow! Oh, I have this giant smile on my face. I'm about to. Wow! Wow! That makes me think of all the mother figures in my life, and like all like I've had a lot of mother figures. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom is fiercely my mom. Like, she's Mm -hmm. fiercely, like, territorial and protective of me. Like, Mm -hmm. any mama mama bear, like, your typical mama bear, right? That's my mom. Yeah. But then I've got these other mothers, just because I've lived all over the country and done all these different things, but that act pretty ferociously, too you know, yeah. in terms of my well-being and my just knowing that I don't have my birth mom around, they step in and like act in that role, like very mm-hmm. much, whether it be my coach from college mm-hmm. or I had several coaches who were just like mama bears and other uh, female mentors, but it's like they knew I needed them. I needed mm-hmm. that role in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. And it, and that wasn't even like found through church, but found through other communities I was in that functioned as church at the time. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Body theology and what exactly that means. Cause that's what we've been talking about. Um, but to name yeah. it, name it theologically for folks. Um, and you talked about, the pregnancy and feeling your son inside you and how that connects you to the holy i think that is that is embodied theology but how how else do you understand that so i think um so i came to this idea of embodied theology also through a class that i was taking um which corresponded to getting pregnant. Perfect. It was like a 
a practicum class almost. Um, but so I think I, I associate those things really deeply because pregnancy is a very, um, yeah, maybe loud or immediate bodily theology. Um, everything is immediate. Um, your body's changing very quickly. You, you know, you have to eat chicken enchiladas in the next five minutes or you're going to throw up. It's kind of <laughs> out there. So you're just real aware of your body in a new way. Um, but, you know, I think that this is not exclusively, but certainly fundamentally intertwined with my Christian theology, um, that it matters that God was and is in a human body, um, in the material and that Christ, like we were talking about earlier, demonstrates grace through the care of bodies, through feeding and washing, um, and healing and, you know, restoring households, very concrete, practical things that are lived out in your flesh. Um, but I think that there's physiologically, there's more connection between mind and spirit and body than I know how to articulate. I'm sure many people do. Um, but you know, we, we know that we express joy in our bodies. We express fear in our bodies. We hold trauma in our bodies. Um, all of this is there and all of those things are wrapped up in the way that we experience and articulate who the sacred is or what the sacred is. And, um, so I think there's this notion almost of muscle memory of God. Mm. Um, Bonnie Miller McLemore is a mentor professor, former professor of mine and the person who really introduced me to a lot of this. Um, and she writes about different postures in worship and kind of pondering, you know, what does a Benedictine know from kneeling in prayer multiple times a day that I don't know because I don't posture my body that way. Mm. Or what does a Pentecostal raising their hands in worship know? Right. That an Episcopalian who does not do that will not know. Yeah. Um, and it might be something that's past words because it is, it's this, yeah, muscle memory of, of meeting God. Um, so obviously I'm not, well, maybe not obvious. I'm not pregnant right now <laughs> and my son is weaned. And so my, my body experience of God is not quite so loud or immediate. Yeah. Um, but certain things like realizing being, being attentive to how my body feels as a way that's expressing or holding more than just itself. Um, mm -hmm. more than the sum of its parts, I guess. Um, so like before we started our call, I was listening to some music and my son's already in bed and I had the house to myself. So I just like had a little dance party and it was just like letting it be kind of a loosen up to talk with you and also a little bit of prayer and expression of joy and like, work the kinks out of my shoulders and my hips from the day. And, mm -hmm. and so as I was doing that with my body, 
that also let my mind and my heart get freed up from what was going on in my day so that I can be present with you now. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that just thinking to myself rationally, my brain and my heart are distracted by X, Y, and Z. So I should rational, rationally get myself out of them. Mm-hmm. I can't do that in the same way that my body can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just seeing that whole self, um, which obviously the fact that I'm just talking about like body and mind and spirit means I'm still slicing myself into pieces to try to understand. Right. Um, right. So but it's, it's a process. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, I think just as a, I was trying to get it like just as a way of thinking about theology, I don't think I'd learned until grad school. Mm-hmm. And I, like you said, I was already doing these things. Like yeah, we sports. all have one, whether we do it or not. Yeah, you just don't realize that's what you're doing. Right. Um, like I said, sports, a very ritualistic, spiritual thing for me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Playing my guitar, singing, mm-hmm. right? These bodily things I'm doing. And right now I'm in the mountains and I'm skiing and I'm breathing in this insanely fresh crisp cold pure air in the rockies Mm -hmm. right i am as close like to me like my god is god of the mountains right so whenever i come (laughs) when whenever i come here it's insanely mystical and spiritual Mm -hmm. because i Mm -hmm. i feel like my spirituality and where i feel and i meet god is in nature very much and so when yeah. my body is out here and I'm standing on a mountain with the snow just like going under my feet insanely fast in this cold, cold air hitting my face mm-hmm. and I'm breathing in the most pure air I've ever breathed and it, as an asthmatic, like when I can just breathe as freely as I've ever breathe in the mm-hmm. most pure air it's the most magical thing because i i struggle with breathing my whole life breathing is such a task yeah and so when i when i get here i can just i can breathe yeah and, and so and I, like in that you're you're knowing something about god or you're praying yeah maybe in a way that you just aren't yeah. in Oklahoma. Yeah, and I'm attentive to the ways in which God is around me and present in the mountains, in the pine trees, in the snow, in the Mm -hmm. air I'm breathing. You know, it's this mystical, mysterious place that evokes a whole uh, different sensory um, interactions with the divine that I can't do. You're right, in Oklahoma. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm... it, it's all happening through my body. I think mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, I don't know if you listen to Chantel's podcast, but she was talking about the difference between saving the body and saving the soul and mm-hmm. how we, we separate those two and how that can be, oh, okay. um, yeah. that can be violent to not care mm-hmm. for bodies. Mm-hmm. And we forget that we interact with God through our bodies. Yeah. Um, so we can't, neglect them or consider them in salvation. Uh, right. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. I think there's a certain brand of feminism that doesn't want to just like really super celebrate 
the nitty gritty of what it means to take care of a child because that you know is regressive um i think even for progressive folks who are trying to have conversations like this it's easy to get kind of gender essentialist in it and it's hard to be mindful of ways that i fall into that um Mm -hmm. also like talking about sharing your breast milk and about wombs (laughs) and about blood is not like sort of culturally appropriate in most environments but it's also really really holy yes so i feel like it's, it's worth wading into even yeah. if we don't have good practice of that right now. And I think that is a reason why women have not been seen as holy enough to be priests is because our bodies go through this process and the monthly Crazy shedding of blood bodies. and yeah. we're, in, we're unclean or what have you. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. But seeing it from this other side of an embodied theology that that monthly bleeding and childbearing it is sacred and it is holy yeah it's all made in the image of god it's all made in the image of god and it needs to be at the altar too yes absolutely absolutely Um, and i think that answers the question like what's important about being a woman in theology yeah well there you go i mean for this particular woman in theology yeah, that unification to Christ, the altar. Whew, that's important. Um, I mean, sometimes I get teary and proud and excited just about the fact that there's going to be this little boy who thinks that being a priest is a girl's job. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he will mm-hmm. never hear the stuff that I heard growing up. Mm-hmm. Um he won't know that that's not an option somewhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, whew, that'll get me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I think it's yeah. also, you know, I think for me, the intersection of my gender and my theological vocation is still rooted back in that sacramental idea of finding grace all over the place or the yeah. epiphany idea. Yes. Of the things that right now my, my kind of gender identity is rooted in motherhood. It's, it's my primary gendered role right now. Yeah. Um, and I've got to find grace all over the place. I've got to find grace through Sesame street and through really good, you know, a really good snack time where we just like both are just enjoying our apple slices <laughs> and he's not throwing them in the floor and like receiving God's great <laughs> gift in that and being present to that. I have to find it there or I'm not going to be able to find it in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that to me is why it's important is like breaking down this false fence that we've put up around church or around Academy and said, that's theology and that's not. Yeah. Um, because as long as, you know, as long as we got this work to do and our society set up this way and I'm the primary caretaker for a tiny little one, 
you know, I've got to be able to find this richness and creativity and presence of God with me, mm-hmm. you know, in the Walmart tantrum <laughs> <laughs> in all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And how much more does that equip you to do the work of being a priest and caring for a community in all the ups Ooh. and downs and life messiness and the chaos every one of those parishioners will bring to you as a priest oh my goodness i don't know if i would have made it through my ordination process if i had not also become a mom Mm. it's given me resilience and grittiness and groundedness in ways that i didn't even know i needed that i Mm. didn't even know were available (laughs) wow what a gift thanks again sister claire and soon to be mother claire claire brown for sharing about your body theology with us. I hope you all loved that discussion as much as I did. Let me know what y'all think and leave a review on iTunes. And please check out my website, theosophiapodcast.com, and check me over at theologycorner.net. The next episode series features the Reverend and Juris Doctorate Liz Valle, She's a PhD candidate in homiletics and liturgics at Vanderbilt University. Have a lovely week, everyone. Peace.